Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And yeah, life is pretty wonderful as long as you compare it to the alternative. We're looking at It's a Wonderful Life. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Joe, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Jeff. Hey, 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 how about you? <laughs> I'm doing good as well. We are recording a little early, but it is still December, so we are in that Christmassy spirit. Because when this episode's dropping, it's going to be just about Christmas. It's right there. It's in the air. It's in When the this spirit. episode's dropping, Christmas is popping. Heck yeah. Uh, so listener, as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, uh, write us a review wherever you can review your podcasts uh, and tell a friend if you're enjoying the show. Be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash starring, where for $3 a month, you're getting all of our episodes in advance. And for five, you're getting an additional bonus episode every month, including this month's full-length commentary on The Muppet Christmas Carol. Ooh. And yeah, plenty of episodes in the back catalog just waiting for you there. You could sign up for a month and then cancel. Listen to all this stuff. You can listen to our commentaries on Lord of the Rings and Jaws and The Fly. You can listen to our episodes on Adam's Family Values, Thor Ragnarok. All that is waiting for you for just $5. Wow. <laughs> what a Christmas gift to bestow ho, upon ho, your loved ho. ones. <laughs> uh, so, It's a Wonderful Life came out on December 20th, 1946, making this, I'm pretty sure, officially the oldest film we've covered on the podcast, Yarp. which is pretty fun, uh, and was directed by Frank Capra and written by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and Frank Capra. Amy Jo, what is your experience with It's a Wonderful Life? Had you seen it before? This was a big like middle school, high school watch for me, but I haven't seen it since high school, I don't think. So this is one of the peculiar ones that like I was very familiar with for a period of time, but I don't have like pitch recall for because I didn't mm. watch it obsessively. I just like watched, you know, I'd watch it like once a year kind of thing. So it was a bit like watching something where I knew it happened, but I I had forgotten like I, it was a long time before Clarence showed up yeah. like, in the flesh, you know. I was just like, oh, I no. remembered this differently. When he shows up in corporeal form opposed to just as a it, blinking constellation. Well, they did what they could with what they had. Uh, but that did, I was like, oh, wowie wow. <laughs> when that started. <laughs> I dug it. Like, I don't know what else you... What are their ideas in terms sure. of like having your angels be talking opposed to showing like a full like Which them in really the robes yeah. in the clouds. Yeah, I don't need any of that. I don't need like a real cheapy Hercules in New York version no of Olympics gods in, when, in clearly in Central Park uh, pretending that they're in Mount Olympus. I don't need that. Uh, and I... Had never seen this movie before. Can this is, you believe, listener? Is one of our few that you had seen before, Amy Joe, that I just had not. It was just not well, one. Well, Jeff, you know why I'm not surprised? Because this is a classic Hollywood film from long before I was born. And so this is the area in which I thrive. This is true. This is true. And look, there's a lot of films from this time that I love and that I saw when I was younger and have seen many a times of Casablanca, of course. I've loved like Rear Window, a lot of Hitchcock and stuff, a lot of the 
Chaplin films and stuff, but this was a blind spot for me. And lo- love Jimmy Stewart, as I said, Rear Window. Love, love that Jimmy Stewart, but for whatever reason, this one missed me by, and I've just never seen it as a film that was like, ooh, you know what I should finally watch? It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but now I can say that I have. <laughs> uh, and this film, uh, so it's a big pretty big play at the Oscars that year because it kind of famously wasn't a huge hit. It wasn't until like decades later that the rights got snapped up for nothing so they could just show it on TV all the time for dirt cheap. And that turned it into like, it's always on for the holidays. So, so it, it became, becomes like a tradition. Exactly. But it did still get some, uh, some fun nominations. So that year it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart. So spoilers ahead. If you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life, like me. Or somehow don't know the basic gist. <laughs> or you haven't seen it in a while. Here's a brief-ish synopsis. It's interesting to me, having now finally seen this film, that this is a quote-unquote like Christmas movie. Because we have like half an hour takes place on Christmas Eve near the end. But so much of this is a bleak bleak film nothing to do with christmas i know but i think you know like like you've talked about before about how you'll cast for the final color we often remember like where we land like where we end and those final shots you know it's a bell tinkling on the tree you're not wrong you know so it's it's that whole final set piece this whole denouement like takes place around the holidays so the same way that like meet me in st louis as I've mentioned to you on this pod before, because another movie you haven't seen is like four different seasons. But we think of it as a Christmas movie because like one of the most famous songs from the film is about Christmas. And like because the film ends around Christmas. So Yeah. Have yourself a Merry Little Christmas listener if you're not familiar. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. From sorry. This movie musical. So but we start it's Christmas Eve in 1945 in Bedford Falls, New York, as our hero, Jimmy Stewart, as George Bailey is getting ready to end it all. And we were hearing all the prayers of everyone in town, like, please look after George. Please look after my dad. Look after daddy. And then we cut to the celestial body up above as we see these blinking stars as this guardian angel, second class Clarence Oddbody is assigned to help save George. And in doing so, Clarence will earn his wings. Uh, and then I didn't realize that this is our, so an hour and 40 minutes are now showing like pretty much showing the rest in flashback of how we got to got a lot to learn clarence a lot to learn see yeah we're seeing george bailey as a little 12 year old when he rescues his younger brother from drowning and in doing so george is now deaf in his left ear we see george this whole scene and with the pharmacist where george is like where you know you're 12 it's 19 it's the 19 uh like 20s or so you're you're 12 yeah. you better get to work kid you better start earning a living yeah, so a 12 year old sure. running the pharmacist um but this guy that owns it mr gower he's his son has just died and now he's he's like just received a telegram yeah. of his son's death he's drinking and he accidentally fills these capsules with po- he actually he, he has like a jar of poison for some reason that he just fills these capsules well, I think, with you know there's i don't know oldie timey pharmacies you'd sell it all right yeah i, I it, guess it was a drugstore right. really yeah but um he's almost poisons these kids I, it's we're it's really smart of how the screenplay like threads this in so we're, we're showing within this whole sequence 
it starts with we see young Mary and uh, young Violet Bick, these two like two girls that are kind of vying for George's attention. And when you say vying for George's attention, these girls are out for blood. <laughs> yes, they <that> are <laughs> maybe like nine years old, and they're they are like step off my territory. This is my man. I'm gonna love you till the day I die. Oh man, I uh, we can we'll talk about Mary, but I have some issues with how she has been sculpted but oh man these little girls are just like out for it but yes i mean it establishes them as important figures very early on in a fun way will you help me down from my stool help you down like i love this kid playing little help you down just like the sass it is kind of shocking that uh this this hole which is it's cute because mary she whispers into george's bad ear so he can't hear her when she says she's gonna love him forever but it comes right after he calls her brainless it's like he is such a little jerk she's like she finally like what like what kind of ice cream do you want? And she's like chocolate. And he's like with coconut, right? And she's like coconut. I don't like coconut. That's right. I don't like coconut. He goes, hey, brainless. Don't you know where coconuts come from? It's like they come from here and here. I'm like, that doesn't mean she's gonna like it. Is it just because it's worldly? You should like coconut because it's intern an yes. international flavor. Because it comes from you know Bali or wherever he said they were from. But yes, exactly, it's international. Don't you want to be a connoisseur? Or are you just some rube <laughs> yeah. that wants to sit at this soda counter for the rest of your dang life. Meanwhile, and he's like, yeah, because I'm getting out of here. I'm gonna have multiple harems. I'm gonna marry all sorts That's of wives. Right. And she's like, God, I'm gonna love this jerk this this what a dream boat i'm gonna love this jerk wannabe mormon with his sister wives uh until the day i die apparently was pretty hilarious to me uh and then he runs to his dad we see his dad fighting against mr potter this sequence really establishes like so many of the players very well yeah because george needs to ask his dad like hey um i know that it's the 1920s so when a a grown-up says do something it's literally the law, but I think I might poison this kid if I send these capsules on the way. Is that all right? And instead, he's getting smacked around by Mr. Gower for his troubles until he can finally explain, like, this is dark. This it's is like we dark. are nine minutes into the film. And I was like, oh, boy, it's going to take a long time before we get to that wonderful life in it. <laughs> in fact, yes. Uh, we see years later, we're seeing George. We kind of see him and Mary. They, they keep almost getting together. And then. Yeah, George is like just graduated from college. And um, oh, wait, no, he doesn't go to college. He's he's graduated high school. He's supposed to go. Well, originally, he's going to go on right. like a vacate. He's going to tour the world and then start college. Before college. But then right. his dad. Ha- I think that's right. That's It's right here. Yes, then. His, yes, his yes. dad winds up having a stroke and dying and so george then helps take over the business and loan that he is the last thing he wants to do i know that this takes place over many years but i was sitting there watching like these scenes i was like oh you're just a kid and he's supposed to be like you know 20 and i was like he looks conservatively 40 how old was jimmy stewart at the time and he was like 37 when he was filming this which makes sense it takes place over a period of time and i was like Hmm, we we couldn't have you know Clark Kent played by one actor. No, that would be that would be too much in the original Superman. We we 
can't have Christopher Reeve play the teenager, but we can certainly have Jimmy Stewart pushing 40 play playing a wee whippersnapper. Yeah, I mean, it would take a long time before we got to. I don't mind it. It's just pretty funny. It's also the way that they dress, um, you know, that they dress back in the time. Age is a piss. Oh, he's at dinner. And he's his brother is like, well, why don't you come to the dance with me? And because all these girls will be there. And this is how he eventually runs into Mary again. But he's like, finally, like, oh, all right, I guess I'll go to the dance. I've, he doesn't want to. And he's like, I'll have to change first. He's wearing a suit and tie and vest at the dinner table. He's wearing a suit and tie and is like, this is how we're already dressed. He's already dressed yeah. to retire. Uh, <laughs> he's got to go to the dance. We get this. I was cracking up at this scene of them Charlestoning together. Uh, oh, yeah. And then these little jerks. So you're, you're telling me one of these is Alfalfa from the Little Rascals? Yes, yes. Okay, so there's the guy who's like, when when uh, the one guy's like, oh, come talk to my kid sister. You remember Mary? He's like, oh, Mary, oh, sure. You know, and he walks over and he sees Donna Reed. Ah, oh, hoba, hoba. I thought you were just some stupid brainless kid, but. I thought you just didn't like coconuts, but now I understand I was so wrong to care about that. Oh, my, look at the coconuts on this grown-up Donna Reed. <laughs> no, all right, we got there. Um, So he goes goes over to Mary and she's talking to someone by which I mean there's like a guy who she's like standing with that's like talking at her and so then they start she like hands her cup to him and and she and Jimmy Stewart just start to dancing and that guy's like now wait a minute this was my dance that's alfalfa Uh so then later when the guy's like hey you know you I got the key then the kid who's like, yeah, and turns the that's that's alfalfa. Which I, I just say, I say, pretty, which yeah. it, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, I love a that he they're pulling like a Back to the Future here, clearly before Back to the Future, but of the like the kid just going to dance with Lorraine and then just like getting shoved out of the way is like quit annoying everybody. Uh, but also that this other guy that has the key, the way that he all of his lines are these questions was really cracking me up. Where he's like, did you know that there is a swimming pool underneath this dance floor? Yeah. Furthermore, did you happen to know that I have the key right here to open said dance floor? And most importantly, did you notice that George Bailey, the joik that just stole your goyle, is happening to be standing right on the crack? above said swimming pool he's ready to go play a gangster i adored it and then that they open the swimming pool and george and mary are doing the charleston but they don't realize that the floor is now open as everyone is supposed to supposedly like screaming as if to try to warn them but they're all clapping they're all into it like no one's actually warning them they're all like oh my god but also like this is great until they fall in the pool and everyone goes in the pool. Yeah, that's that part I thought was also really fun where they all just start diving in. I was like in in their tuxes and, right. you know, their party gowns. Ooh, our master plan to embarrass George Bailey instead has now led to him hanging around with a wet, naked Donna that Reed. That scene very, very much was reminiscent of the scene in Philadelphia story where um, he and... and Catherine Hepburn come out of the pool. They're like drunk and like swimming in the pool and everything. And then like come out. It, it was a very similar type scene. And a similar type like, oh, there's charming sort of. I, I couldn't tell if he was supposed to be drunk in this scene or not. I'm going to go with 
yeah, or at least a little, maybe, I don't know, had some gin. Who, Jimmy Stewart? Yeah. Um, or if he's just drunk on love, you know. I, he must be drunk on love, because he's, this is the big famous, you know, what do you, what do you want, Mary? Oh, you yeah. want the moon? I'll lasso the moon for you, which is the talk of a drunk. Uh, or just someone who's drunk on love, drunk on love. Regardless, he's playing it similarly to how he played a very drunk Mike in in uh, a Philadelphia story. Um, and it's a, one of my favorite scenes in cinema is that one. Oh, Jimmy Stewart's able to make this go down smooth that could read real Look, creepy from a, another actor. Because Donna Reed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he accidentally steps on the because they have their clothes are all wet. So she's wearing this robe. He's wearing this like football uniform that's so baggy on oldie him. timey. Yeah, 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 a really oldie timey, like leatherhead uniform. Uh, but he accidentally steps on her like robe belt and she is now hiding in a bush naked as it's like, oh, George, hand me my robe. He's I'm like, in the well, hydrangea bush. Well, hold on now. Hold on. This is a quite an interesting situation I found myself in. He's just so drawing it out of like, hmm. Well, uh, she's like, I'll, you, I'll tell your mother. It's like, oh, no, she won't. She's way she's, over there. She's down the block. She's, yeah. She's down the block. She can't help you now. Hmm, interesting. Interesting predicament. Uh, before finding out, oops, you're dad is now had a stroke had a yeah. stroke and you have yeah to run. it i definitely was thinking this whole movie but particularly this scene i was like "Ooh, this is a real you have to hire jimmy stewart or someone very likable just inherently likable or ugh. it's it's a very like all of gene kelly's roles you don't realize what a like jerk the guy is and i don't think that's necessarily the case with george bailey but like it's so bleak you need someone like jimmy stewart to carry <laughs> to carry it off yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but his, when his father, as, I, as we said, his father dies. So George now has to help settle the family business for a while. We see him butting heads against Mr. Potter, who is on the board and controls a lot of the town, who just wants to dissolve it. And they finally are like, OK, well, we'll keep the building alone open, but only if George runs it. So now all of his plans to leave and go to college are scuttled. Uh, and he eventually winds up marrying mary we see like they're gonna go every time george tries to leave this is his personal health this is like a it's twilight a real zone episode. Show. yeah oh, oh that's it now that is a twist if it's <laughs> if bedford is a fake town it's a wonderful show he's actually living in like the 90s and this is they made it look like it's the 19 late 1940s okay okay <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> this is the only way to make sense of these angels from jumping into uh, jumping into town. Um, yeah, that's Christoph. <laughs> okay, all right. And, yeah, well, there there it is. It's uh, Paul Giamatti finally is like, oh, I don't know about this. I feel bad for poor for the Bailey show. I don't like this poor George Bailey. We gotta <laughs> I gotta show him what's what. My Paul Giamatti is not that far off from my Jimmy Stewart, so it's a lot of yeah, a lot of waver in the voice. So we see, yeah, they're going to leave for their honeymoon, but there's a run on the bank now. They're using all their money. We keep seeing how selfless George has to be again and again. Uh, and it all finally comes to a head when damn Uncle Billy, one of the biggest <sighs> cinematic losers I've seen, my my main casting option for him should be Burt Young from Rocky because he is such a like a miserable, like like the worst. He is the worst. And he manages to lose $8,000 by tucking it into a newspaper and like 
whacking it against Mr. Potter because George's younger brother is now a big war hero. And he's like, Uncle Billy's like, nah, how do you like that, Mr. Potter? And here, let me just accidentally give you $8,000 right when we're about to be audited. And he famously has no memory for anything. He's tying things around his fingers. What I think a simple note would do, write a note on a piece of paper with a pen rather than tying a piece of string, anonymous string around your finger and hoping for the best. (laughs) That's how we did it back then. Just a little piece of red string and that's supposed to- They had paper. (laughs) Just like write a to-do list, my guy. Someone else write a to-do list for you, you know? At least the string should let you know to check the notes. You should have like your little spot where you write your notes. backup. And the string can be to check the notes because if you don't have room on your person for the notes, like I get it, but you need a better system. Uncle Billy's got memento disease. Freaking finding Dory over here. Just keep swimming. Just keep losing. Just keep losing. Well, it's a thing like if you're in your like 60s by that point and you haven't figured out a system for not just like making every day like the most stressful day of your life, then like I don't know what to do for you. But oh, he just just you need several systems in place. And he's got the old tie tie string. <laughs> He's got. It hasn't the worked for him once. Worst system. Uh, so yeah, things ain't too look too good for George Bailey. They cannot find this money anywhere. It, there's going to be a scandal. There's going to be criminal charges. So George goes to Mr. Potter to ask for a loan, having to offer his life insurance policy as collateral. Oh, and we haven't really talked about Mr. Potter being like a slumlord and a real yeah. like. Just an embodiment of Scroo- Scrooge uh, avarice. Not getting visited by ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also taking pleasure in where Scrooge is like, leave me alone and I'm just counting my money. Potter's also like, what if I made things worse for everyone because I derive pleasure from that. Right. I mean, we fully see yeah, because uh, George helps like create this housing project and we see Mr. Potter of like being like, the Baileys are all fools. They're so stupid. They keep doing these things for people, but they're not making money off it, these idiots. George is like at the end of his rope here. We see him all this whole scene where he is screaming at Mary and the kids. Uh, Why do we even have all these kids? What do we need all these kids for? They do have four. That is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. And well, it seemed the unsaid part of the sentence seemed to be, what do we got all these kids for? And the only one I even like is Zuzu. Where is that Zuzu? (laughs) I got to look after Zuzu, my favorite. The only one of these kids that's not an idiot. Well, then again, uh, she isn't stupid enough to walk around without her jacket buttoned up. And now she's got herself a cold to protect her flower. She's so yeah, she's the only smart one. And she thinks I can paste these petals back out of this flower that tells you how brainless even my smartest kid is i'll tell you one thing these kids are gonna know where coconuts come from i'll tell you that much <laughs> that's the most important thing you know mary is coconuts uh but he's yeah he's yelling at all these kids he's getting drunk at the bar he's get, having a real rough go of it so he goes to the bridge he's gonna end it all well he realizes like because potter says something about his insurance plan because he tries to like give Potter, his insurance plan is like, you're more, you're worth you know? more dead than alive, barely. Why, $500 against 8000 You're immediately 500 You're worth more to them dead than alive. And you see, light bulb. Brilliant idea. <laughs> we'll jump off a bridge. He's not happy about it, but it's a light True. bulb, you know. But Clarence shows up and having seen 
all of this story up to now and knowing George's character is like, I bet if I throw myself in the river, George will save me instead, which is what he does. And we take so long to get to a physical bodied version of Clarence, which I did not see coming. But uh, here's the story that I knew is this guy, angel comes and is like, oh, you wish you'd never been born. Let me show you what this looks like. And instead of Bedford Falls, it's Potterville. Mary is a spinster who doesn't know him. His brother died in the lake because he wasn't there to save him. And so his brother is not a war hero where he like saved this whole like ship by gunning down a plane. So now all those people died. Mr. Potter is just running the town into the ground. The pharmacist did give those poison pills to the kids. So now he's a miserable drunk. Everyone's lives are so much worse because George is not in it. I need to take one moment. I need to take one moment here to talk about the acting of Mr. Gower. Like, I mean, so many people get to play basically a dual role with like this little glimpse into like what their lives were like in, in Pottersville instead. But the the like years of drunk acting that this yeah. guy does, like the it's just it truly was shocking it's so good like and you know unfortunately living in new york we see a lot of unhoused people and people who are dealing with addiction and that sort of thing and it's just it was so um it like hit me really deeply because it felt it just felt incredibly uh true very well realized and and pretty devastating well i can't speak for this scene you don't think so I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is I can't speak for this scene in like the ver- the world where George doesn't live of his drunk acting there. But as for the pharmacist scene where he's whacking around young yeah. George, he was actually drunk for filming of that scene and was actually whacking this kid in the ear. So this kid is that's actual blood coming out of this kid's ear. That's terrible. Yeah, not great. Not great. But according to the trivia, when he was done, he gave the kid a hug. No. So it's the 1940s. Don't worry, kid. Now you get a hug now. Wow. Hollywood's wild. Well, the the thing with that final scene, there's no way you can just like be drunk and do that. That is, uh, I mean, you, you, I suppose could, but like the kind of drunk he's doing is like the years and years yeah. and years of addiction and like hard living kind of thing, which is different than, although I really don't recommend doing, um, doing that breaking news you are not recommending getting drunk i'm recommending when you have to don't. whack a kid around i'm recommending on you you try a little thing called acting oh well all right well controversial advice from amy joe but you've heard it here first try you acting heard it here first just try acting yeah. my boy in the words of Lawrence olivier george races back to the bridge begs clarence for his life back and the original reality is restored and a grateful george rushes home to await his arrest he's but he doesn't care he's just so excited to see his family again and his kids but the whole town having heard that george needs money george is in trouble everyone comes to his aid uh everyone sending in cash and his brother shows up having as he's like oh i left that award ceremony where he was getting- i left the white house yeah 
Because I heard that George was in trouble. And he sends up the toast like to George Bailey, the richest man in town, uh, as they get this gift because Clarence has been reading The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So among the donations, they find a copy with a note from Clarence assuring him that no man is a failure who has friends. And when a bell on the Christmas tree rings, Lil Zuzu explains to George that that means that an angel has teacher earned says, his The wings. teacher you thought was a real fool and a jerk. Teacher says that uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, what kind of class was she teaching you that in? That's not no <laughs> no reading or writing or arithmetic. What kind of Tom Fuller really is she filling your heads with? Hard on that teacher. That was so. It's like George, we need to calm it down. I also yeah. think like this this last scene oh, is a reminder, or maybe not even a reminder, just like George. You need to, like, ask for help and establish a boundary every now and again. He's terrible with boundaries. It's, it's his like, fatal flaw. Yeah, clearly. He's like, well, I guess the town will dissolve if I don't, like, do take over the building and loan. But it's like, he, they, why? Ugh, it's There's so many things where I'm like, I get it. I get, I get it. But you need to figure out a way to have, like, yeah, a life you can live with. Um, which I guess the moral is we find out that he doesn't. <laughs> it's also like hey, that's the way you get you have a life you can live with. You have someone show you an even worse life. Yeah. It's it's really the equivalent of like, hey, you know what? Other people have it harder. <laughs> you well, you could mean, have like, it worse. There is a lot that he is like not um you know, we all have things in our lives where we realize, oh, this life that I thought I wanted isn't the way that my life is going to go, but actually like there's a lot that's really great in my life, you know, which I think is like the obviously the yeah. journey that he's on. Like we all go through that. You know, he makes so many sacrifices and compromises and, and it's just like he can't catch a single break. Do people like no, like I, it's just like ask someone for help once, just once. Well, he didn't need to in this case because the help was brought to him. The casting director of It's a Wonderful Life is a big old question mark because it's kind of as before we. It's what whatever studio this exactly. was. Exactly. It's like the, the studio casting. system. So I do not have any information on that. But let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance and Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with George Bailey. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Jimmy Stewart and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I see. We're going in hard at the top. Um, it's Jimmy Stewart. He's great. Like, as I was saying, I find it difficult to think of uh, this movie working without someone as likable as Jimmy Stewart. And who's also bringing yeah. in like a history of this kind of role. This is also very similar. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, just a lot of this kind of like fervor and enthusiasm of like is he is like lawful good every man you know what i mean um but yeah. he had because he's a really fine actor he has a lot of like there's a lot of depth underneath that it's not just like this surface level like right golly gee you know it's surface it's like, level nice guy it's like jim he, jimmy stewart is an actual great actor there's like so then, much yes. going on underneath so all of that that can you really still play, need. i yeah i believe all of this pain and rage underneath like this man who just very earnestly desires to do the right thing by everybody, you know? Um, so I think it's a really, I th I think one of the reasons this film has, has had the life it's had other than television is because of Jimmy Stewart's performance. You know, I think so much of it is on the, yeah. on the back of, of him. So 
I have people from kind of all over time-wise that I think would also be a good fit. My first thought was Tom Hanks. Of course. Um, as far as like, I want someone who is giving me like earnest every man but can play like all the the darkness like the man who would go on to play mr rogers that's absolutely the modern day george bailey yeah 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 absolutely i also have jack lemon yeah i think could give me a lot of that he tends to skew a bit more comedic but he oh man he's such a good actor so like i think what he does i mean so does you know jimmy stewart has that lightness which offsets the darkness which i think is a lot of jack lemon's career with like days of wine and roses and the apartment and all of that which the apartment is a comedy but it's really dark you know so absolutely yeah it lives in a lot of the same territory as this and look i mean Um, stuff like china syndrome and glengarry glenn ross jack lemon's an amazing dramatic actor who's also i think like jimmy stewart that they he can live in both worlds very very easily that's what i mean like he has the lightness to offset that which makes the darkness like more um i don't know just it pops around the same time. The only other person, because I have some other names of people around the same time, but as far as like the best match, probably like someone like a Henry Fonda is giving me like, yeah, just the, the same kind. I'm thinking of him, especially in like the Lady Eve, where it's just like, oh, uh, gosh, okay, I guess I'll, uh, sure, you know, but also like a really phenomenal actor that can play again the comedy and the the depth of it. Let me see. Who else on here do I want to talk about? I think like this. <laughs> this is a, I you know we haven't talked about the slap heard round the world, but like I can see a time when Will Smith um could have played this part. Like, sure. Um, like yeah, the you know, pursuit like, of happiness. That's era, the one I was thinking of. Will yes, Smith. exactly. Yeah, sure. That that feels like very like a lot of what he was doing. Who else on here do I want to say? Oh no, maybe maybe a Gregory Peck, but I feel like he's almost a bit too. Um, buttoned up for this maybe not buttoned up is exactly what I mean but I feel like he's 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 like someone who I could see maybe for you know 20 years later I have a lot of the same people Tom Hanks definitely Jack Lemon, absolutely um around like the 60s 70s I could see an Alan Alda version of this that oh, I would really like yeah. I could see the Dick Van Dyke version of this. He's on my longer list. Yes. Mm, yeah. Especially if mainly it was seeing the Charleston scene. I was like, oh, you can, I can see Dick Van Dyke doing this. Um, Absolutely. Along with like the 90s version, Tom Hanks of, would be great. I could see, I think Denzel would do a really beautiful version of this. He's on my longer list too. Yeah. Um, I could see the, thinking of how he emulated this spirit of this era in Hudsucker Proxy. I could see Tim Robbins and with Shawshank of like, oh, I can yeah. see the kind of like the decent everyman qualities Absolutely. living very nicely on him. That's a great pick. I, I could see like the Robin Williams version of this, like the late eighties, mm. early nineties version. Uh, and made more recently. Uh, I could see Matthew Reese, I think is giving me oh. everything I want here. Oh, yes. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, I think, like mm-hmm. is a little more serious in terms of what he tends to do but i'm seeing the qualities are all right for me yeah. for me um and mark ruffalo i think would actually be a very good modern day oh, yeah. every like the decent every man that's just trying to stand up for the little guy 
so as I said, uh, Jimmy Stewart was nominated for Best Lead Actor. The other nominees this year were Gregory Peck for this film, The Yearling. <laughs> Uh, this actor, Larry Parks, for playing Al Jolson in The Jolson Story. Um, Lawrence Olivier for Henry V. And the winner was Frederick March for The Best Years of Our Lives. Another sentimental wartime pick. We loved those sentimental wartime films. Uh, so Frank Capra and his autobiography were called of all actors' roles, I believe the most difficult is the role of a good Sam who doesn't know that he is a good Sam. I knew one man mm. who could play it, James Stewart. I spoke to Lou Wasserman, the MCA agent who handled Jimmy, told him I wanted to tell Jimmy the story. Wasserman said Stewart would gladly play the part without hearing the story. As Stewart and Capper had previously collaborated on You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Lionel Barrymore, who played Mr. Potter, is actually the one who convinced Jimmy Stewart to take the role of George, who had just returned from World War II and didn't know if right. he was ready to start filming again. Which I think it plays into the performance in a way that it is effective. He apparently you know told I mean? some of his friends that he related a lot to the character of George and that some of the scenes where George acted out in anger were he found very cathartic at the time, um, which mm. I'm unsurprised because he really is like in those darkest moments, like he is clearly really going through it he is fully sobbing in that bar he is really chewing out those kids um but ding 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 to you amy joe because the one other actor who was considered was indeed henry fonda oh i love it when i nail it you nailed it instead in 1946 he was playing wyatt earp uh with brother morgan earp played by ward bond who plays bert the cop in this film uh in this film my darling clementine well, Henry Fonda had a fine career. He sure you know? did. So, like, he's just fine. But I just love the idea of like this, this Oz, the Earp Brothers Western in Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling, Clementine. Um, so moving on, though, to Mary. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Donna Reed and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think she's absolutely lovely in this. I would like to take a moment to talk about some of the script choices they made with Mary. Mm-hmm. The idea... That in the alternate reality, the worst thing that could happen is that she would be a spinster who worked at the library. And also that this incredibly stylish young woman, as we see her, which has nothing to do with her relationship. She's stylish when she meets him, that she would somehow, because she wasn't aspiring to marry George Bailey one day, be like, I don't understand how to find clothes that fit my body, and I'm going to wear glasses, which apparently I don't need in another reality. Maybe I strained my eyes too hard reading books about Tahiti. But I was just like, okay, she would have married Sam in the other reality yeah. maybe or someone else, like which there's ways to make that yeah anyway it just made me laugh i was like are you kidding me uh, oh no i have a little mouse i only read books and i don't know what to do about strangers which he is being you know forceful with her but i was just like that they thought that this was the way i forget what episode we discussed it on but they're doing a full reverse she's all that they're putting the glasses on her they're putting the hair up they're like this is not a beautiful donna reed this is a nerd alert librarian this is i mean Look, here's the thing. Clothes that fit you go a long way toward making you look better. So they do a decent job of making this absolute knockout just look a little mousy. Oh, man. I just I was like, what are we? Are you kidding me? Um, (laughs) Also, that she decides as a child she loves this boy. And then, like, 
she's just holding out for this, like, which is fine to a certain extent. It was a little uh, much. Well, I, I thought it seemed a bit happenstance that they kept finding themselves coming back into each other's lives because she didn't. She just was going to the dance and then they the, I, I thought it was really well shot of oh, how yeah. they see each oh, other totally. at the dance like a lot of their like silent moments and then later like she she's just at he calls on her at the house which is i did really like the scene of him being like of like the mother being like well what's he doing here it's like well, what are you yeah. doing here and he's like i don't know like i'm just told to come but, here like but I'm- when he arrives out of the blue she has this drawing she's made or commissioned for him of george lasso's Mm, the moon she has buffalo gals on a record she knows where it is she puts it on to jog the memories of this night that was like everything to her and like that's that's fine but she's also like a beautiful smart young woman who has other prospects and it's just like she's set her cap at george bailey at the age of like five and not well now hold on hold on hold on what other prospects because it seems to be the main prospect is a guy that keeps going hee-haw every five seconds. And I got to tell you, I might wait decades for Jimmy Stewart, too, if my only other chance was hee-haw, Sam. I'm sure the thing is, I'm sure she has or could have other prospects if she were open to the idea. But she's like, no, it's George Bailey or bust. <laughs> it's coconut boy or nothing. It's Bailey or brainless for me. I'm brainless if I don't go Bailey. So just these things made me go. Oh, wow. Wow. Really, really different time. Really (laughs) different time. Because it was just like, I'm supposed to like, I think the thing that I took issue with is that I'm supposed to find that romantic. And instead, I found it annoying. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So anyway, but I thought Donna Reed, great. You know, what a what a beautiful, like elegant. I think she just like plays everything. She plays this character who similar to george like if you don't have the right person in this part it's just like what because she's pretty we don't think that that's kind of creepy and gross that she's just like my only interest in life is george bailey and this house that you know you know it it, i think she plays it all really well gives me very much flavor of the period without it being um one note or kind of like um so i like her a lot for the time other people that i thought of were Rosemary Clooney and Norma Shearer, who um, are both also like really fine actors with like personality who are like can play like that loving romantic role without it just being like a a doormat, Um, which, you know, I I remember like when I was much younger, like watching some Marilyn Monroe movies and being like, I guess she's good. I um, and then watching. What was it? Sweet Smell of Success, probably. And there is an actress in there. And I haven't watched this movie in years, so like I could completely reassess this statement. But they had an actress in there that's clearly supposed to be a Marilyn type. And I was like, oh, she has uh-huh. not got the same level of charisma. Like, then I went back and watched a Marilyn thing. I was like, I, okay, I, okay, I understand what's happening here. Um, I like revised my thoughts on Marilyn because I was like, she's got this undeniable charisma. And I think like you need an actress with with that or this is just kind of like a a dead weight you know when she has to kind of be a lot of the heart of it while he's like off having not such a wonderful time having not such a wonderful such a wonderful life you know i have more contemporary choices but i'm not obsessed with them so i'm gonna leave it at i'm gonna leave it at my oldie timey choices we love it around the time yeah i mean like i'm just i can i'm just thinking of heavy hitters i'm like sure a grace kelly 
and Audrey Hepburn. Um, of course, I'm going to pair with Jack Lemmon, his Days of Wine and Roses co-star Lee mm. Remick. I like that for like an early 60s version of this film. Um, and I'm going to pair with Matthew Reese. I'm going to pair him with his real life partner and Americans co-star, Carrie Russell. I like that a lot. Put the two of them together. And all, modern day, I was like, I could see the Rachel McAdams version of this, I think, as far as oh, yeah. our modern actors to still probably be set as a period piece. I kind of like the idea of her thinking of the notebook, you totally. know, I, I think she would slot into this era very nicely. Absolutely. As for the other actors who were considered for Mary Bailey, uh, Olivia de Havilland was considered. Oh, that. Yes, of course. Of course. And her, her sister also makes sense. Joan Fontaine. Oh, sure. Of uh, Gone with the Wind, of course. Uh, in 1946, uh, Olivia de Havilland was instead playing Charlotte Bronte in this movie Devotion. And she won her first of two Oscars for this film to each his own, where she plays this unwed mother forced to give up her child to avoid scandal and then is following her son's life from afar. Uh, even as she's prospering in business and she keeps like keeping mm. keeping tabs on him. But that sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy, or in this week's case, Two Truths and Some Person, because gender is dead. dead. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Mary, one was not, and Amy Jo is to guess which is which. Oh boy, oldie timey, this is going to be so fun. Your options are Jean Arthur, Jean Tierney, and Ginger Rogers. I thought you were going to make the third choice, Gene Hagen. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Gene Arthur, Gene Tierney, and Gene Kelly. <laughs> um, wow, interesting. I can really see any of these. I'm going to go um, Ginger Rogers. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Oh, Gene Tierney? That is correct. As far as I could tell, Gene Tierney was not considered. Gene Arthur was first choice for the part of Mary, having you know, been in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington mm -hmm. with Jimmy Stewart for director Frank Capra. But she declined the role. She was already committed to, she was going to be in Born Yesterday on Broadway, <gasps> and she wound up dropping out of the show during tryouts. I, I couldn't find out why, but she almost originated the role of Billy Dawn. That's the road that led her to not getting an Oscar, that's for sure. There you go. But uh, it, oh, and she was also in uh, You Can't Take It With You with Jimmy Stewart and Frank mm -hmm. Capra. So that makes so much sense on totally. paper. It's like they worked so well together in two prior films from the same director. Yeah. Uh, and Ginger Rogers allegedly turned down the role because she thought the character too bland. Uh, which I mean, I think Ginger Rogers had her Oscar at this point. So I can. Yeah, you don't I need to be it. doing. Yeah. 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 In her autobiography, she questioned that decision by asking the readers, foolish, you say? <laughs> uh, which she had some movie in 1946, this flop called Magnificent Doll, where she has like a, in a love triangle with David Niven and Burgess Meredith. Wow. 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 That's, that's a trio of actors. That I mean, it is. Yes, it is. I loved anyone in a love triangle with David Niven. I just don't think of David Niven as a lover. But you think of Burgess Meredith as well, a lover? Well, no, no. The penguin no. Burgess Meredith? No, no. Rocky's Burgess Meredith? No, I don't. I don't. You eat thunder and crap lightning, Ginger. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're very different types, at least. So mm -hmm. at least you're getting... Mm -hmm. the, what a... A real rock at a hard place, meeting a love triangle <laughs> David Niven and Burgess Meredith. I'll leave you to decide which is which. <laughs> 
Let's move on to Mob <laughs> Bailey. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Bula Bondi and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? You know what the thing is? It's like I thought like, oh, she's perfectly lovely. And then we get the scene where she's running the boarding house and you see this woman who like, you know, her, her son's died or, you know, like she's like down on. Yeah. Down on her luck. Her, br- like, her brother is in the institution. Her yeah. s- son drowned. Her one son drowned yeah. since she doesn't have George. Her Clearly, like, the, the husband died, you know, when he would have died or whatever. I just really, like, was like, oh, I like this actress, like, in this scene. Because I was like, oh, yeah, character actor's going to act, baby. Um, Just, like, because she's so warm and, and just kind of giving, like, straightforward supportive mom energy and like the small bits that she has but then in this scene i was like and now i get to see you have a good time you know by yeah doing that so i i really that scene for me was where i was like oh yeah 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 aren't actors fun um (laughs) i i tried to find someone for the time and gosh i failed so um i'm gonna say if this this is like a and I think that she'd have a this would be a way too small of a part for her, but just more like as I think it'd be fun to see this like a Francis Conroy um, mm. playing both of these because I feel like I could see kind yeah. of her making that turn really strongly. Um, and then also way too small of a part for her. But I was like, oh, Olivia Coleman also is going to give me that really warm. And then like when you see kind of like dead eyes, you know. Yeah, um, I have other thoughts, but I don't like him so much. I had this I one was her, yeah. was a little tricky because it's a small part, but you need the someone to come in and crush, you know. And a lot of the character actresses I love are, you know, bigger players. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I just have people in modern day. It's like the two people that came to mind because you want them. They need just they just need to do the two things. You need to see them. They're the sweet, supportive mom, but then you're seeing them like as yeah the life that they thankfully didn't have to live. Give me like a Kathy Bates type. Mm-hmm. Give me like a Melissa Leo type. Like mm. just people that can also do like the hard edged stuff just for that little 30 second snippet of a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the actors who were considered Anne Revere, who some might know from gentlemen's agreement, she won an Oscar for the movie national velvet with Mickey Rooney and Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. Instead, in 1946, she was in the directorial debut of Joseph L. Mankiewicz, director of all about Eve and Cleopatra and sleuth. Uh, this mystery dragon wick where Jean Tierney is hired to be governess to the young daughter of her distant relative, Vincent price. Okay. I got a rent dragon wick yesterday. <laughs> it could be terrible Uh, and i can tell you right now i don't care we gotta check it out uh selena royal of the heiress and who played joan's mother in the ingrid bergman joan of arc film was considered Mm. for ma bailey just looking at those roles that that that's exactly the type of actress you want someone who did the heiress and joan's mother in joan of arc uh, and Mary Young from The Lost Weekend was considered, who in 1946 was also in To Each His Own with Olivia de Havilland. Have you seen The Lost Weekend? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, it's been a minute for me. Which it's, it's you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's very well done. It's also just of being like, I think Days of Wine and Roses is, a much is better, able, yeah. yeah. Well, is also able, we're, we're moving away from 
the complete limitations of the Hayes code as far as like yeah. that the lost weekend ends with him like chucking the bottles of booze and like I'm gonna turn my life around and it's like okay that was a pretty easy snap decision are you sure that's gonna stick my guy yeah yeah I think if it were that simple he wouldn't have had so many lost weekends probably oh it's just the one lost weekend and now things are looking up for Ray Milhand oh, yeah <laughs> Uh, so Bert the cop Amy Jo your thoughts on Ward Bond and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else I think Ward Bond is great I'll admit didn't have a ton of thoughts for this because I feel like this is the kind of thing where I'm like yeah yeah slot in someone who can act yeah role Um, as far as as the film goes and I feel like he's also less comedic than Ernie the cab driver so it's also a little more you you know so um, I have in here well, Ernie has always tended to have more of the jokes than You're Bert, me, I have found. Bert's much more of a straight man. That's Bert's why I have straight man. Bert the puppet here at top of my list. <laughs> my second Bert is uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke, who, of course, we know is Bert and Mary sure. Poppins. And oh, I then see. Um, I see. Uh, a non-Bert was like, I don't know. This is absolutely makes no sense. But I was like, yeah, sure. Michael Shannon. Why not? Um, I have clearly no good ideas. (laughs) It's like someone good at acting is my thought. Yeah, I've got, I've got nothing good. I'm like, I don't know, around like the the late in the eighties. Give me Sam Elliott. Oh yeah. And today, give me Timothy Oliphant. I I don't know. I need, you need like some kind of a type that I could buy, even though less of what Sam Elliott has really done, but just like someone that I could buy in like the law enforcement type, but he's just like a bit, a bit cuddlier. But then can still be a hard edge yeah. for when you need him to be in the Pottersville right. sequence. I think I was thinking of Michael Shannon because of the movie Pottersville. <laughs> oh, God. That is a wild film. Yeah. That's a film that's a real, like, how did this get made? Just moment to moment. Yeah. Ron Perlman is a furry. The what's his face from, I think, Reno 911 is like this impenetrable, like German accent. Like that's and Michael Sh- Michael Shannon. Here's the thing. I love Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon in that film, it's as if they're like, this'll be Michael Shannon's George Bailey. This will be Michael Shannon's It's a Wonderful Life. Cause he's supposed to be like the nicest guy in town. He never thinks of himself, always other people. And it's he is George Bailey in that bananas film and michael shannon is not someone who should ever be on anyone's list to play a george no, particularly Bailey type. on film as i think we've talked about before on the pod him on stage it's it, he's very tall but you have a little distance from those severe features which on camera just don't <laughs> it's really hard to make those not seem menacing up close you know why do we need all these kids mary <laughs> they're terrifying <laughs> Yeah, brainless. What's the matter? You never heard of a cocoa nut? Oh my gosh. The kid that they would get to play, like 10 year old uh, Michael Shannon. Oh, God. I'm curious. Uh, he'd be about 5'8. <laughs> uh, well on his way to Michael Shannon's like 6'2. Uh, so, as far as Bert the Cop, the other actors who were considered John Alexander, who played Teddy in the film of Arsenic and Old Lace. Some might know him from. Oh, Yes. Uh, Wally Brown, who was Mr. Hopkins in Hitchcock's Notorious instead in 1946. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Burke, who in 1946 was playing Burke in The Maltese Falcon. Uh, This actor, Irving Bacon, who listened to, for whatever reason, going through this guy's IMDb, I was fascinated that this guy would have named characters here and there, but for decades has some of the best, like, unnamed roles. And by that, he is 
Station Master in Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, Corporal in Gone with the Wind, Truck Driver in The Grapes of Wrath, and along with that, not listing the films I'd never really heard of, but his character names, he's credited as Mailman, Bartender, First Reporter, Soda Clerk, Jewelry Salesman, Hollywood Realtor, Tollgate Attendant, Gas Station Owner, Railway Gateman, Bathhouse Barber, Nosy Station Master, and Hamburger Man. Hamburger Man? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got a great picture coming out. I play Hamburger Man. That's great. I mean, just like a real, I, I mean, that's what you want for Bert, right? You want like a real, like, just day player come in, like, yeah. you know, hit it every time, get out. Or you want the final actor who's up for the role, Robert Mitchum. Oh, Robert Mitchum? I know. Night of the Hunter and Cape Fe- the original Cape Fears, Robert Mitchum. <laughs> Wowie, wow. I don't think of him as affable in any way. No, I'm a little more reading that the Pottersville color on Robert Mitchum. I'm a little He's more wary giving me of like Robert bartender Mitchum Nick in Pottersville. Yeah, yes, exactly. absolutely. Uh, but let's move on to Violet Bick. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Gloria Graham and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? We haven't talked as much about Violet aside from her first scene when we see her as a little girl. But like after that, we kind of see her as a potential love interest to George Bailey. But we're supposed to think she's not a good fit for him. She's a bit too, you know, she's got all her plumage. She's a bit too saucy. She's a bit too loosey-goosey for that George Bailey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's in the Pottersville version. We're seeing her getting arrested as, like, leaving a brothel. So it's I kind really of implying the worst. I really dug that scene, too. That was really upsetting, too, just to see her. You know, I, I thought that was really great. Just, like, the he didn't even, like, have a moment to, like, actually... Yeah connect with her she's just like you know screeching and flailing and everything um yeah and i did love because she's clear clearly she wants the like i want george to take me out and we're gonna go here and we're gonna go there but the one time when he's trying to be like i refuse to go after mary because i know that way lies marriage and i'm not getting married to no one instead goes to like his mom is like she points him in like to the right and he's like thank you mrs bailey and goes immediately to the left and goes to Violet and is like, here's what we're going to do, Violet. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go to this field and take off our shoes and walk around. And she's, she's like, like, take off our shoes. And we're going to climb this, the mountain and smell the Mount pines. Bailey. We'll stay up all night and we'll go swimming in a pond. A and whole crowd scandal. has gathered somehow yeah, during they, this speech, which they, you think is private. They cut to a wide shot and the whole town is like a Simpsons gag. The whole town is just standing there pointing and laughing at George. Yes. <laughs> it's like oh shut up ah oh, come on oh it, w- it was really funny to me uh, but so your thoughts yeah. on gloria graham and who would you cast i think she's she's wonderful i think she's like really hits the notes of this really well without being too like winky winky about it you know i think she like embodies this contrast to mary really nicely um i don't really know her from anything else um i don't think i should go and, and look her up but um I thought, I mean, unfortunately, she was, um, I think, already dead by this point. And that's been, been too small a role for her as well. But, like, Jean Harlow is mm. giving me the glamour. She's she's maybe giving me a slightly more comedic take on this. Um, yeah. But I love Jean Harlow, and I wish we had more films with her in it. Just because it's Christmas time, I was thinking of another fabulous, much-loved Christmas picture Um White Christmas. I mean, I did already have a Rosemary Clooney. Clooney. So this is where I would put Vera Ellen. 
Um, although we then we have to have a full dance number then. Um, but imagine if we had Ginger Rogers as Mary and Vera Ellen oh. as Violet. We, this would be a full musical. <laughs> then maybe we do have Gene Kelly as her. Yeah. <laughs> George hey, Bailey. gosh. Yeah, it's a wonderful musical. Um, and then my other thought was Anne Baxter. This is slightly before All About Eve. You know, and she's she's. Mm. She's someone who, like, I think could live in between. Like, she could do Mary, but just having seen, you know, All About Eve a zillion times, like, the kind of, like, calculation behind the eyes feels like it plays really well into someone like Violet, who really that's what, you know, it's like, oh, this woman who's on the make, as opposed to like, well, golly, I'm just wholesome. And yes, I've also been on the make since the age of however old this Sodi counter scene is, but like, (laughs) in a way that's wholesome and therefore acceptable is different than like... Yeah, buy me a fur, sweetie, and take me out to the Stuart Club or wherever there is, <laughs> you know. It's in Pottersville, I was like, this just looks like uh, Bushwick. Um, <laughs> this is, just looks like a, I don't know if there's any regular businesses here. Is there a place to buy soap or is it just dance clubs? Nope, we're smelly, smelly Bedford Falls. <laughs> smelly, smelly Pottersville. Uh yeah, I'm. I didn't really have many any people for this. So the one person I was like, um, give me Gene Hagen, give me Singing in the Rain's Lena Lamont because yeah, she could do great, not yeah. just honk voiced comedy. She could yes. do. She has a speaking voice that, that isn't that exactly. Yeah. Uh, as far as other actors who are concerned, this actor uh, Myrna Dell, who I wanted to note because in 1946, here are all the films that this woman had: The Locket. Vacation in Reno, Lady Luck, Nocturne, Step by Step, The Falcon's Adventure, Twin Husbands, The Spiral Staircase, The Falcon's Alibi, Made Trouble, Ding Dong Williams, I'll Take Milk, and Oh, Professor Behave. Wow. Busy year. Okay, number one, Oh, Professor Behave. I mean. Is a hilarious title. <laughs> um, but also, That's a Jerry Lewis man, movie if I've ever heard one. The, the studio system was wild. Running these women ragged. Yeah. We got to crank out another movie. It's due in a week. <laughs> truly, though. Truly. Uh, Gene Porter was considered, who in 1946 was in Easy to Wed, which is based on Liebold Lady. Uh, and this version was a musical with Van Johnson, Esther Williams, and Lucille Ball. Oh my gosh. Now, look, I know most listeners will be like, Liebold Lady, why are you saying that? Like, that's a thing. It's a movie I adore, uh, listener. It's uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy not playing their thin man characters. And then the supporting characters are played by Spencer Tracy and Gene Harlow. And it's just, it's so fun. Um, but I didn't realize there was a musical version of it. Wow, with Esther Williams? I know. So they're swimming. Apparently not much swimming from oh. what little I read. Not a ton of swimming, but Lucille Ball, like, really already having, like, the Lucy character. Interesting. It's pretty much like a, ver- like a glammed up version of, of the Lucy, Lucy yeah. from I Love Lucy that we ha- kind of knew. Ooh, I might have to seek that out as a nerd. It looked interesting. I think we've got a few to look up. We've got uh, Easy yeah. to Wed and whatever the other one was that we mentioned. The, um, the drag- oh, Dragon Dragon Dragonwick. Um, wow, that's why I didn't write it down. It is just at the forefront of my mind now. <laughs> uh, and Gene Porter had this other film that I kind of wanted to mention. It's called, called Betty Coed, this film from 1946. Uh, that just because like <laughs> the plot description on IMDb was cl- the, sometimes we get real opinionated with the people when the people are writing in the plot descriptions. Oh. 
on the internet yeah, who do tell but like if you're you know your user reviews is one thing but this is like the main blurb to describe this oh, movie man. and uh betty coed a forerunner and a semi-slight version of Take Care of My Little Girl from Sam Katzman, but pert and pretty Jean Porter had a knack for making Katzman's pictures look better than they were. Here, she interrupts her carnival singing career to enroll as a freshman at Upton College. She quickly encounters the snobbery of the sorority girls because of her background, but the sorority is reorganized on democratic principles and she's invited to join, although it is never made too clear why she'd want to join this group of airheads anyway. <laughs> wait wait she's a professional mm -hmm. carnival singer well she interrupts her carnival singing career it doesn't say if she went pro she might be in some of the non-professional carnivals oh fair she's yes just an amateur carney she's in it wow. for the, the it's for the love of the the passion of the the game of oh, itself yeah, it's yeah, uh yeah. it's not about the money the carnival singing career yeah, everyone loves standing in front of people who are barely listening to you as you sing. You right. Know? Over here, we have the bearded lady. Over here, we have a woman singing a song. Eh, hey, throw peanuts at her. <laughs> Ow. Ooh. Ah. Anne Southern was considered for Violet Bick, uh, who's probably best known for playing Maisie, a wise showgirl who finds herself circling the globe and doling out advice to people. This is a whole series of films. Uh, we have starting with Maisie and then Congo Maisie, Gold Rush Maisie, Maisie was a lady, Ringside Maisie, Maisie gets her man, Swing Shift Maisie, Maisie goes to Reno. What she had this year was 1946's Up Goes Maisie, and then one more with Undercover Maisie. They were crazy for Maisie. Wow. That's got to be one of the taglines at a certain point. America has spoken. They're crazy for Maisie. So we're going to shove Maisie down your throat for the foreseeable future. Until you're like, stop, stop. I, I, stop. Th this is the original MCU. This is the Maisie cinematic universe. We, this is, <laughs> she's played Maisie almost as many times as Hugh Jackman played Wolverine. This is extraordinary. <laughs> uh, I got to look this up. I, I. <laughs> I've never heard of Maisie. And here's the thing. There's like such a treasure trove of weird old gems, many of them terrible, but like weird old gems, forgotten garbage. Yes. Yes. Look, one man's treasure is another man's, you know, obsession. But like I used to have cable and have Turner Classic and then it got taken off the package. But this is where I would see a lot of this stuff because a lot of it was like they're they're out of print. You can't rent them. Yeah. You know, that's the only way I could see like. I've seen just about all of Gene Harlow's movies, but like a lot of them were out of print or you had to rent them on VHS from like Kim's convenience, not convenience, Kim's video, whatever. There's like specialty stores that are now out of business. But I'm thinking maybe I need to find a way to subscribe to Turner Classic Movies just so I can be watching weird, I think they have, things. Um, they must have their own like little streaming service or it might they maybe must. or maybe we take a little spin on the uh the criterion channel uh Ooh, well i don't think Maisie made it to criterion okay well i don't think Maisie has but a lot of great classic films sure. certainly have that might be uh fun for us to check out okay, all right all right we're making plans listener so <laughs> listener you know our plans for the new year <laughs> uh let's move on to Uncle Billy, Amy, tell your thoughts on Thomas Mitchell and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I, I think the actor is great. I totally buy this man, you know, where you're like, I think I'm supposed to be frustrated by you, but still 
but not hate you. He doesn't play it too, too like too comedically to where I'm like, okay, you know, I, I find myself irritated by the character and not the actor. Yeah, definitely. Which I feel is important. We're not doing a full hip hip hurrah in the Pottersville sequence where we hear he went to an insane asylum. <laughs> we're not completely excited by that news. No, no, we're not like, oh yeah, sure that tracks. We're like, oof. Yeah. But we're also not, no, not Uncle Billy, our favorite beloved character. Yeah, no, we're like, Uncle Billy, uh, I don't know what you should be doing with your life, but it's not something that involves finances. Billy's got to keep out of the way. Billy's like the Uncle Frito of the family. You got to get him set up in Vegas and get him out of town. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, get him out of town. Get him managing. Yeah, yeah. Send him to Vegas. So uh, I'm going to say for the time... I'd really like William Wyndon, um, who uh, was is best known for playing Seth, Dr. Seth in the Murder, She Wrote series. So he is a very familiar face to anyone who's watched, you know, more than one episode of Murder, She Wrote, because he's one of the like the three main recurring characters aside from Jess. And he was making stuff around this time. So he may have been a bit young for it at the time, but like. For an oldie timey guy, I'm like, yeah, you want a character actor who does like, oh, I do all this comedic stuff, but also like can be centered in it. And then more contemporarily, and I know it's just the hair, but I'm going to let the hair lead me to where it led me. And that is to John C. Riley. Mm. I don't have a lot of thoughts. I don't have a lot of options. You know, that's well, just where do I am. I. There were a lot of characters, Jeff. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I don't have a ton of thoughts. More modern day. And for me, the, it was the look was reminding me a lot of current day mark lynn baker oh, uh, i was also yeah. thinking about you can't take it with you because of frank Capra yeah. and mark lynn baker's was in that most recent revival with james earl jones and rose byrne uh, and his and look, tony award winner like, annalee ashford of course and tony award winner annalee ashford of course uh but mark lynn baker popped up in uh that she hulk show as tatiana mislani's dad and i was like oh mark lynn baker you really can bring it and like just as he's in like two episodes and you're like you are such a sweet like full-hearted performer um but i could also see him being like you fool you've he given away our money addled well yes or i was like look wise maybe a toby jones i could say and still feel a lot of sympathy towards even if he oh, wow. loses eight thousand dollars that's not the role where i'd put toby jones but yes he's very I good mean, at acting sure. <laughs> I could see him in one other role, too, yeah. which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but as for the actors who were considered for Uncle Billy, W.C. Fields was considered, who oh. he passed away this year of 1946. Oh, really? This actor, Barry Fitzgerald of And Then There Were None and The Quiet Man, who's probably best known for he won an Oscar for this Bing Crosby movie called Going My Way. But he's the one actor... Because after this happened, they made a rule that so this would never happen again. But he's nominated for both supporting and lead in the same film. Because oh. it like the role is big enough that yeah. it was just well, and they didn't have that place to, to be like, you got to set which one. You got to lob it one direction or the other, which is where they really went wrong with Ann Baxter in 1950, if you ask me. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's Hollywood agents for you doing doing their job. Since always. <laughs> uh, Hugh Herbert, who's, according to IMDb, best known for this movie called Shush, the Octopus. 
which is a comedy mystery which finds detectives Kelly and Dempsey trapped in a deserted lighthouse with a group of strangers who are being terrorized by a killer octopus and a mysterious crime figure named the octopus. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Octopuses are, even the largest... Aren't that big? You you, you, you know? don't seem clamoring to check out Shush the Octopus that you weigh, the way you are for Dragonwick. I don't like this anti-octopus <laughs> propaganda, Jeff. Well, maybe the twist will be this killer octopus will actually help them take out the crime figure named the octopus. It'll he'll change sides. Now I'm in. Now I'm all in. This actor Edward Everett Horton was considered, who played Mr. Witherspoon in Arsenic and Old Lace with Cary Grant. Yes. Gosh, so many, so many um, familiar faces dotting like the periphery of all of these films. Speaking of the Philadelphia story earlier, Roland Young, who played Uncle Willie in Philadelphia story, was considered for Uncle Billy here. Yes. Uncle Willie is also a great uncle, uncle, (laughs) just someone who is like. A little too, like, just strong uncle energy where you're, like, exasperated with him all the time. Mm. Yeah. And three-time Oscar winner Walter Brennan was considered. Oh. Which I love because I just saw To Have and Have Not um, for the first time a few years ago. It's Howard Hawks movie with uh, Bogey and Bacall. It was the first and Bogey Bacall. and Bacall uh, pairing and walter brennan's in that and he just he's just he's had that real classic uh cr- kind of perfect like old coot voice like he should be playing a prospector yes. with that cre- that old walter brennan voice and like oh dang it george i don't know what i did with all that money i was waving it around at mr potter and then the next thing you know my hands are empty no clue where it could be i had it I waved it at uh, mr potter and then i walked away and then no money of all the people Ugh, that plot twist, Mr. Potter. I see a world in which the same actors that were up for Clarence and Uncle Bi- the same actors were up for Clarence and Uncle Billy. Like, I can see a world where there's, like, th- there's just enough kind of, like, like you say, like, the kind of coot and the kind of, like, uh, you know, slightly addled. Like, yeah. they're doing different things, but I could see the tam- same type of actor being considered for both of those parts. Well, we're about to talk about Mr. Potter right now. But before I ask your thoughts on Lionel Barrymore and ask who you'd cast, I'll tell you right now. Thomas Mitchell, who played Uncle Billy, and Henry Travers, who played Clarence, were both considered for Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter? Mr. Potter. I think they wound up better where they were. I agree. But Amy Joe, what are your thoughts on Lionel Barrymore and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Number one, he's a Barrymore. It's an acting dynasty. The guy, he's a legend. He's fantastic. Like, he's great. I mean, it, what's it, this is like more of a morality tale with you know like so he doesn't have to play a ton of nuance. He's not a character that changes. I love that we don't even see him in Pottersville. Like, because we don't need to. We see him in every stroke of everything that's happening around the town, right? We see his influence. We see he got what he wanted. But his life hasn't changed other than it's just more what he wants. So I actually really like that we don't check in with him because you don't, you don't need it. Yeah, um, you don't need it. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think he's great. He's such a gleeful curmudgeon. So don't have a ton of th- You would think I would have more thoughts for this because tis a villain. But like, I felt I don't know. Like, it's it's one of those that's just, like, so, like, this is the guy. And, like, yeah, sure, there's plenty of people who could do this. But, like, I think he strikes that balance so well of being, like, 
it's he's not like you know uh, twirling his mustache it's not like that gleeful it really is just so clearly like so financially based and so like i want to do this thing but he's not like trying to play out that he's some kind of good guy either he's like i know my motivations and i know what they are and i stand behind them and they just happen to be you know very cruel <laughs> um so for several years later like more like 70s 80s george kennedy is mm. kind of giving me i love george kennedy always and he's yeah. always giving me like kind of villain heavy you know and and um uh i i like that more of the time um sydney greenstreet from um you know casablanca um oh yeah like and and maltese falcon like he he is giving a very similar vibe always you know to this kind of like uh, th- this is what i'm about i'm slightly ominous and deal with it for a more effete kind of villain so this that what i like also about lionel barrymore is it's like it feels very american he's not like giving us any like shakespearean type voice it's like it's a very american performance so this guy is i forget i think i forget this actor is i think this actor might be english but um so anyway uh clifton webb who was in um he was a stage actor then he's most known for laura um he he plays the columnist kind of character um and then uh you know, I have contemporary choices, and I say, screw them. I'm not going to read them. They'll remain Great. in my book. Love it. A well, holiday read, secret. Well, I'll read all my contemporary choices, because I don't have anyone else for the time, but me later. I mean, it's a classic role for, like, an Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. A Brian Cox would be great here. Mm. Albert Finney would be a delight. I could see the Michael Caine version having just done Muppet oh, yes. Christmas Carol. I could see a Ben Kingsley or an F. Murray Abraham. You just want a one of those great actors with the gravitas to be a real stinker. Out of those, I think F. Murray Abraham is my favorite. That's really good. That's really... Yeah. That's really good. So one of the big factors that helped win Lionel Barrymore the role was because he was a famous Ebenezer Scrooge in radio dramatizations of A Christmas Carol at the time. and was a natural choice for the heartless, miserly Mr. Potter. And he'd also worked with Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart previously on You Can't Take It With You. Yep, yep, yep. So as for the other actors who were considered, we already said Thomas Mitchell and Henry Travers. Uh, Edward Arnold, who played Jim Taylor in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and was Jimmy Stewart's dad in You Can't Take It With You, was considered. Uh, Charles Bickford, who some might know, he was in the Judy Garland Stars Born as Oliver Niles. This actor, Louis Calhoun, who, amongst other things, he was Caesar in the Brando, James Mason, and John Gilgood Caesar film. He was Buffalo Bill Cody in the Annie Get Your Gun movie with Betty Hutton, and Ambassador Trentino in Duck Soup. And in 1946, he was playing Captain Paul Prescott in Hitchcock's Notorious. Wow. There's been a little more overlap with Hitchcock than, than you'd think. Than I would think, I suppose. Uh, Raymond Massey was considered, who played Jonathan Brewster in Arsenic and Old Lace, and Adam Trask in East of Eden are two of his bigger things that some might know him from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, who was too busy doing Dragonwick with Gene Tierney was Vincent Price. That's also really fun. But at Vincent Price also at this point is still quite young. True. You know, so I like Lionel Barrymore more for this too, because you're really also getting the age contrast in someone who's just like, yeah. No, I chose to be this way a long time ago, and I 
am not interested in being any other way. So set in his ways is like such a like yeah. he's built into the building, you know, he's like built oh, into the yeah. chair when he's when he's sitting in a chair. It's like he's existed in this chair for a millennia. Like he just feels yes. like he has been trying to chip away at this town for centuries. Yeah. It's very effective. I think the age works really nicely on him. And also, yeah, contrasts with like young Jimmy Stewart's like hopeful, youthful optimism. So those were all the characters I found in their casting options for. There are a few characters I didn't mention. I want to briefly touch on them. Uh, the actor and producer Sheldon Leonard said in an interview that he only agreed to play Nick the bartender so he'd have money to buy baseball tickets. Hey. <laughs> You know, we all got to have money for luxuries uh, in our lives, and that's true. That's great. That also feels like if if I were to assume that that actor were at all like the character, it's like, yeah, of course, he wants to go. I got to go see some baseball games. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, this is such a large ensemble film. There's a lot of many little characters. But the only other one that I really wanted to mention is Henry Travers as Clarence, because uh, he is oh, like yeah. such a that is one of the biggest I mean, that's what I knew about this film is like this angel Clarence who's going to show George around and his bell's going to ring and he's going to get his wings. So I was surprised at how small of a role this actually is. But I think he's so good. He's like such a. Oh, yeah. He feels like such a like little Winnie the Pooh patting. I was bear. just going to say Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> but he just ha it's like so good for this character because I didn't know what type oh, of yeah. angel this character was going to be. And that he just seems like a sweetly little gnome of a man is so perfect. Like, I love the toll the gate booth guy that like is helping oh when jimmy stewart yes. brings him in when saves clarence and they're both like drying drying off and like eating soup or whatever they're doing like hot hot tea or something to kind of warm up and this toll booth guy he keeps trying to like spit out his tobacco and each time clarence is like well that's because i'm an angel and the guy's like beg pardon just looking like what's that and clarence is like oh yeah i'm like a two however many hundreds of years old and the guy's like about to spit and is like okay i accidentally allowed these crazies in here i just thought he was really sweet he's just really sweet as this little sweet little yeah, clarence he's very charming the you know what this movie in a lot of ways the like small town aspect of it and especially like this character like is giving me like our town vibes in a way yeah. and um I think it's it's really I don't know well done and just makes a lot of sense to have a a film about this small town this like kind of Americana type you know vibe I don't know and to have this angel feel like he could be someone who grew up and also lived in Bedford Falls like he's not other he fits right in until he starts saying he's an angel, you know? And I think that that's, I mean, he's reading Tom Sawyer for crying out loud, you know? So it feels very, um, I don't know, very like, uh, uh, of the world, like, um, which I think is very effective. Yeah. Agreed. Final thoughts, Amy Joe. anything we haven't touched on? Yeah. You know, it made me smile thinking when, um, I forget what, whenever he's, you know, kind of still convincing Jimmy Stewart, he's an angel. It's like, what's your name? Gabriel? No, Clarence. <laughs> and it made me laugh. It made me think actually of Splash, how people started naming their kids Madison after she named herself right. Madison, even though before that apparently like wasn't a name. People, you know, that now it's like, of course, when you think of angel names, Clarence is one of them because of this movie. Like you would hear Clarence and might think, oh, yeah, like the angel before you think anything else, which I think that something about that I found really, really charming. 
Agreed. Uh, oh, and that that's who else that he was reminding me of was uh, was what's his face? Toodles from uh, from Hook. Oh, strong, yes. strong Toodles vibe I was getting from Clarence. Um, yes. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll end with this on my final thoughts. Uh, the other actor I wanted to talk about famous actor who's who'd been in so many films was Jimmy the Raven who we see as Uncle oh, Billy's yes. little pet bird. Frank Capra had cast the bird in You Can't Take It With You and would go on to cast the film and it ca- would go on to cast Jimmy in every subsequent movie that Capra made. Um, you can see him. He is the crow that lands on the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Like this bird this, is this famous. This bird is booked. He was trained to do an assortment of tricks such as typing and opening letters. He could even ride a tiny motorcycle. Jimmy could understand several hundred words, though only about 50 were what his handler called useful. It took Jimmy a week to learn a new useful word, two weeks if it had two syllables. And his handler said Jimmy could perform any task possible for an eight-year-old child. And Jimmy Stewart said that Jimmy the Raven, quote, is the smartest actor on the set and said, when they call Jimmy, we both answer. (laughs) (laughs) Amy Jo? Yes, Jeff? What are you recommending this week? Um, I'm going to recommend a couple of live performance events for those of you that happen to be in and around the greater New York area. Uh, If you'd like to see me perform, this is just going to be a shameless plug. I'm in a show right now called Cocktail Magique. And uh, during December, it's, you know, we're running a lot more dates, but typically um, we're running Fridays through Sundays, uh, Fridays and Sunday at eight and Saturday at five and 10. Where is this show running, Amy Well, jo? gosh, I'm glad you asked, Jeff. It's uh, in Bushwick off the Jefferson Stop, which is the party stop currently. Uh, it's right across the street from House of Yes. So it's a company XIV production. They also have another show running called Nutcracker Rouge, which is one of the shows that they're famous for. But you can find us um, on Instagram at Cocktail Magique or at Company XIV. I also post about it a lot on my personal Instagram, which is at Amy Jo Jackson, if you don't already follow that. But it's it's really beautiful and luscious. I sing four numbers. But yes, and I also, I wrote a musical called Hatchetation. And in late January, we are doing a concert of it at Rockwood Music Hall. That's January 23rd at uh, 7 p.m. And that's, you know, on the Lower East Side. You can follow the musical at Hatchetation the Musical on Instagram. But yeah, so that's for those of you that happen to be in and around New York. And, you know, if you're not, you can still give any of those a follow and, and check out some, especially with company xiv and cocktail magic just like gorgeous content and shots uh, that sort of thing so yeah that's what i'm recommending i'm just plugging my own crud <laughs> but not crud at all it's not crud my own stuff my own i'm all right let me take ownership i'm plugging my own performances perfect thank you jeff amy joe what are you recommending? I'm going to recommend the book Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. I recommended his book Anxious People a little while back on the pod. Uh, a lot may know him from his book A Man Called Ovi as well. Uh, yeah, but um, this is a book like It's a Wonderful Life that is also dealing with this small community where you're getting to know so many of the residents. Um, but in this, it is a very small uh, town in Sweden 
that centers on this declining youth hockey team that they all this town kind of have all their hopes and dreams tied up in this youth hockey team winning this like championship season and then if they win then like they might build a better hockey school like here in the town and it will build jobs and it will revitalize everything and there is an event that happens at the halfway point that kind of forces everyone in this town to start taking sides and like the fate of this town like lies in the balance because of these care of these characters choices uh so it's kind of like a like beautiful sometimes harrowing like sprawling novel that does such a good job of giving you such a huge cast of characters without it ever feeling overwhelming. Uh, I'm really kind of amazed by this writer Bachman. So uh, I'd recommend checking out Bear Town. Uh, and that's what we're recommending this week. Da-da-da. Do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of? Email us at andalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. Follow us on Instagram at andalmoststarring for announcements of what we'll be doing next week and just general fun. So until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And happy holidays.